Welcome to Fraternal Review, the podcast. Today, we sit down to discuss the August 2022 Fraternal Review issue and its corresponding topic, subculture. This is Freemasonry as you've never seen it before. Subculture on the square. And I'm joined by Brother Angel Millar, who is not only an esteemed author on spirituality and self-development, but also a Masonic scholar and the editor-in-chief of the Fraternal Review magazine. Joining him as well is Brother Johnny Arias, who is a 32nd degree Scottish Rite Mason, a committee member for the Illumination Lecture Series put on by South Pasadena Masonic Lodge number 290, and the current Marshal of the Southern California Research Lodge, as well as the guest editor of this extremely avant-garde Fraternal Review issue, Subculture. Welcome to the show, Brother Angel, Brother Johnny. It's great to have you here. Good. Thank you. Good. Yeah. Thanks for having us. So the first thing I want to get into, if you don't mind, is just the backstory on this issue. What was the, I guess, the impetus or the genesis behind making of this issue? Yeah, sure. So originally it was going to be on uh, tattooing. Johnny is a tattooist by profession. And um, we were looking at that together and um, we, we came up with a little bit of uh, historical material on tattooing and in Freemasonry, uh, going back to the uh, 18th century, actually. But um, but there really wasn't enough to create a uh, an entire issue of the Fraternal Review on the subject. Um, so we, after that, we, we we were toying with the idea of making it more about folk art, including tattooing in that. And it just sort of naturally evolved to being about subculture. Subculture is a kind of modern folk art in a way. Uh, Johnny mm-hmm. and I both in our uh, misguided youth were into punk rock and subculture and alternative culture. So it ha- had a kind of natural fit. And um, we didn't entirely do it for that reason, but really, as we were discussing uh, the issue over a number of weeks and we were looking, uh, doing some research, we were really finding more and more material that to link Freemasonry to subculture in, in ways that we had never seen written about before. I think with the Fraternal Review um, in particular, uh, we really want to highlight these neglected uh, areas of uh, historical connections uh, between Freemasonry and another movement of their artistic or whatever they may be. So, so it seemed to be a really good fit, and I think it's uh, I think it's proven to be so. Yeah, absolutely. So, Brother Johnny, maybe you could just color that in a little bit for us. What do, let's say, tattoos and punk rock and heavy metal, what do all of these things have in common with Freemasonry? Well, firstly, they're they're all subcultures, really. And secondly, they offer a rite of passage into their respective underground communities. And so, upon like first encounters, for for example, um, they require acceptance, right? Followed by transformation from exposure and understanding uh, once you spend time with these different genres. Um, and in other words, you know, the first place you're made a punk, for example, is where? In your heart. And the same is true for Freemasonry, you know? Yeah. What would you add to that, Brother Angel? 
Yeah, well, I would just um, emphasize this historical connection. We, we do look at the philosophical connections between uh, punk and and um, and Freemasonry and heavy metal. Uh, heavy metal, which emphasizes obviously a kind of male initiation and uh, looks at and explores mythology, comparing that to Freemasonry. But we also are very are very much focused on the um, historical connections as well. We find that there's a lot of a lot of punk bands that were influenced by Freemasonry and as well as heavy metal bands. And you can see that in their lyrics, uh, they're either quoting the Masonic ritual or referring to Freemasonry quite quite openly in in many cases. But uh, but yeah, I think um, you know if you if you look at these subcultures in and of themselves. You, they do seem to reflect something ab about Freemasonry, even where there isn't a connection. So if you if you take punk, for example, and Freemasonry, you know, today we think of Freemasonry as, you know, men wearing suits and, and behaving uh, pro very properly. But during the 18th century, and maybe even into the 19th century, uh, Freemasons were painting their own aprons. They were, you know, meeting in pubs and singing songs and uh, cr creating their own material culture, you know, so for example, uh, painting their own floor cloths or tracing boards or, or you know, this kind of thing. And, and, you know, fast forward to punk and they're, they're not painting uh, aprons, but they're painting their leather jackets, they're creating zines, uh, they're, they're singing songs in pubs. And, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, connection there, just on a sort of philosophical level. You know, we've we've lost sight of Freemasonry as a kind of do-it-yourself culture. You create your own culture. And I think in, in the modern age, uh, in general, people have got used to this idea that if you want something, you consume it. So you just go, you go and buy it. So if you mm -hmm. want a leather jacket with painted or something, you, you buy that. You don't paint it yourself or, you know, think of ripped, ripped jeans. Well, 30 years ago, people ripped their jeans. Today you buy them ripped from the store. Somebody else does that for you. We consume our culture, but I think Freemasonry, when it was its most vibrant, and I hope, free, uh, I hope the Fraternal Review is a, a reflection of, uh, of, of a kind of do-it-yourself culture. But when Freemasonry, when it was at its most vibrant, was very much a, a culture of doing it yourself, of creating your own art. And, and this is also true for uh, punk, heavy metal, obviously you're tattooing as well, and other, other movements that we mentioned, such as beatnik. So, yeah. Mm. So I think there's, there, there are lots of surprising historical connections that we explore, but there's also definite philosophical connections. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's really well said. I heard, I think initially, this idea of rite of initiation, and these subcultures have like their own initiatic mm -hmm. process. Yeah. Um, maybe that begins, you know, at the, at the individual level or within the heart, as brother Johnny was, was describing, but then there's this aspect of, we, we are in the habit of consuming our culture and we don't mm -hmm. create our culture. Yeah. And, and I guess I'm going to go out here on a, on a limb, but when you create your culture, or if you have this do it yourself mentality, that in itself is an act of creation that in itself yeah. is an act of free will that mm -hmm. in itself is a reflection of the grand architect of the universe. Yeah, right, so exactly, yeah. Yeah, there's this deep philosophical connection that you've made. Brother Johnny, you had a, a great quote in your, I think it was in your guest editor's word, where you mentioned that, uh, I guess it's Dick Hebdridge, Heb Hebdridge, you can correct me on the name, but he's, you mentioned that he explains it best in his book, Subculture, The Meaning of Style, and he 
quotes by saying here, subculture brings together like-minded individuals who feel neglected by societal standards and allow themselves to develop a sense of identity. And I read this and I thought, wow, that sounds a lot like Freemasonry at large. So does that mean that our ancient honorable craft is in itself a, a subculture? I believe it is. Yeah, I, I, I strongly believe that Freemasonry is a subculture. I mean, how can it not be given the fact that our interests are at variance with, with those of the general public? Uh, meaning in, in Masonry, our collective goal is the idea that by improving ourselves, we in turn help improve the world, right? Mm-hmm. And in a world that seems as if every man is only looking out for himself, while constantly comparing, judging, looking down at their fellow neighbor, you know, Freemasonry really differentiates itself by by doing the necessary work of living up to an ethical code that helps us unlearn those negative traits and characteristics that we'd like to change about ourselves, you know, smoothing the ashlar, if you will. And the beauty of this is based on the fact that we do it together as brothers. And as a result, we're taught that the only time a Mason should be looking down on any, anyone really is, is when we're helping them up. And that holds true to subculture and Freemasonry a, a, in general. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think that Freemasonry, if it were to begin to enjoy a, a rise of popularity, then it's at, in some ways a risk of becoming mainstream and becoming part of popular culture versus a subculture? Do you find that to be a risk? Um, well, I don't think that we're going to become massively popular. So I don't think it's an actual risk, but certainly, you know, obviously the more people you have in any kind of group, the more diluted it becomes and the more people join because it's it's the thing to join or they want to be seen to be a part of it. And I think, you know, quite honestly, when Freemasonry was at its quote unquote heyday, you know, after World War II or after Korea or Vietnam and, you know, hundreds of thousands of men flooded into it. Uh, you know, at the same time, sure, but it, it kind of, I mean, a very definitely lost interest in the mysteries in, in the ritual, or at least in exploring the ritual and what it meant. It lost interest in esotericism. And, and you know, if you look back before that, Freemasons had a, uh, an enormous interest in the Hermetic, alchemy, religion, spirituality, uh, from all across the world. And, and you know, that is what happened. It became very diluted. Uh, and today, uh, Freemasonry is, you know, shrinking in terms of numbers. But, what, you know, what's important is that we have a, a vibrant, energetic, and um, uh, interested uh, membership. I, I would rather have fewer members and much more energy than, than much less energy and more members. And, and that may be the choice. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it may be a difficult transition, but, you know, we are a subculture. There's no two ways about it. And uh, I think, you know, I think this issue, maybe a, the subtext of it is that, you know, we we can actually be creative and do things ourselves and be enthusiastic about what we're enthusiastic about. And we don't have to keep replicating the 1950s or 1960s and 70s Freemasonry, do do things that, that interest us. Yeah, and on... On that note, given contemporary masonry um, with publications like this, it stands to reason that those that come in contact with us are bound to notice something different. I mean, 
before you guys were Masons, didn't you notice something different about the Masons that you did come in contact with? There was just something different about them, the way that they conducted themselves, the way that they spoke, the way that they treated others, particularly those that can do nothing for them. You know, there's there's something to be said about that. And that, to me, is a quality that's appealing, you know, and it it's it's that type of characteristics that makes me want to spend time with more people like this, you know, um, drink the Kool-Aid, if you will. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I not I agree with Brother Angel in that I don't think it's going to be popular or blow up and, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. But I do see by putting out publications like this and covering topics like this, it may it may offer a glimpse as to what Freemasonry actually is, you know, uh, aside from the stereotypical thought that, you know, it's just older gentlemen in suits breaking bread, which there's nothing wrong with that. But as you and I both know, uh, Freemasonry is so much more than that. Yeah, it's true. And I think part of my question was just thinking about that analogy about the ripped jeans that were once a symbol or the tattoo that was, mm-hmm. or the le- painted leather jacket and that was once yeah. a symbol of these ideals that are so important to you. And then they get adopted by the masses and popular culture. And then that I think is what you're describing brother Angel is it becomes watered down. Yeah. So we have to really work hard to keep our painted leather jacket of Freemasonry yeah. like intact. Yeah, well, I think you know what happens. It's you don't get you don't get people that are passionate about it. You get joiners and people that kind of want to just associate with it because it's the latest cool thing. Posers and um, posers, yeah, yeah, and and that happens with everything. And I'm sure, I'm sure it happened with Freemasonry in the past as well when it was enormous. You know, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be an interesting idea for a future <laughs> issue: the the posers of Freemasonry. <laughs> <laughs> Another claim that's, I think, brought forward in this issue is that many aspects of subculture, and I know we've talked about a few here, they're esoteric in nature. So thinking about the occult or mm-hmm. philosophy or art. And at first, I, I felt like it was a bit of a stretch to include things like tattooing or mm-hmm. punk rock and heavy metal. Yeah. I'm, I'm now starting to see a yeah. little bit deeper connections there. Yeah. But how are like tattoos and music genres like punk rock or heavy metal? In, in what ways are they esoteric? Maybe not necessarily uh, Masonic, yeah. but esoteric in nature. Yeah, well, I mean, my, my definition of esoteric is different to everybody else's. In the, I think that term today is, has become a synonym for the occult. So if someone is doing, you know, spells from a, an occult book from of the medieval period that's considered esoteric when it's actually not. Uh, I mean, esoteric in its real sense means the inner, right? So Sufism is an esoteric form of Islam. It's the inner form of Islam, at least as far as Sufis are concerned. And Christian mysticism might be regarded as the as an esoteric form of Christianity. So it's really, you know, going within and going beyond to a certain degree. And there are other elements as well, usually you know, some kind of meditational practice, some kind of practice that, in a sense, sort of soften the heart. You don't want to be judging everybody all the time. Uh, you want to try and cut that down as much as possible um, without becoming, um, you know, totally naive. 
But um, yeah, I think, well, th- those things are not esoteric in themselves. You'd actually have to get into what they mean for them to become esoteric. But, you know, certainly, um, well, l- l- in regard to f- tattooing and Freemasonry, uh, and there certainly is a long history, as uh, Johnny um, points out in his uh, article on the subject, going all the way back to the 18th century. And, um, you know, tattooing Masonic uh, symbols on, on their bodies uh, during the 18th century at a time when they really would not have been seen outside the lodge, unlike today. But, um, you know, in regard to, let's say, heavy metal, uh, the article on heavy metal and Freemasonry that we have really, really does go into the into the philosophy of heavy metal, looking at it from a kind of uh, male in- sense of a male initiation, looking at the lyrics and, and how they relate to something that's really timeless and you know, maybe not in a, in a single line, but at least uh, in regard to humanity, goes back, you know, probably three, four thousand, five thousand years. You know, this this idea of being initiated into this kind of mythic quest. So I think, you know, potentially these things can be esoteric, but by the nature of being esoteric, you have to go within it. But I think we probably do a pretty good job of that in the issue, actually, uh, mm-hmm. looking at them from an esoteric perspective. I mean, I look at the leather jacket, com- comparing and contrasting it to the, the the Masonic leather apron as well. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. I think things in themselves are not really esoteric. It's when you start to explore them on a deeper level that they begin to kind of unfold as esoteric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in terms of it being a stretch, um, I I think it's far from a stretch actually. For the simple fact that when you break it down, um, you know, if you if you were to look up the word esoteric, um, you know, it 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 means it's intended for likely to be understood by only a small number of people with a specialized knowledge or interest. And so, on that note, tattoos and music genres like punk, metal, dark wave. They are esoteric in that they all belong to these smaller, lesser-known underground communities. So in many ways, at, at its root, these subcultures actually define the word esoteric. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would just add as well that, you know, we do actually look at some esoteric material in, in the magazine as well. And, and even, you know, what we think of esotericism does show up in these, uh, in these movements. So, for example... Uh, Michael Jarzebeck looks at the influence of uh, Alice A. Uh, Bailey, uh, an esotericist and co-mason, uh, looks at the influence of her work on um, the uh, lead singer of Killing Joke. Uh, I look at the Swedenborgian right uh, in relation to uh, the poetry of Allen Ginsberg. So, you know, we, we actually do look at some, uh, explore the, the Ordo Templi Orientis as well, a fringe Masonic uh, organization originally now considered to be more occult. Uh, so, you know, we also look at the some of the history of the esoteric as well, quote-unquote esoteric. Yeah, you mentioned the use of leather in both these subculture groups and also mm-hmm. in within Freemasonry. And I think yeah. the article that uh, Brother Jarzebek provides describes how there are these drastic differences between subcultures and some Masonic furnishings and dress. But there's also some very important similarities like mm-hmm. the use of leather. Yeah. Maybe you could just share some more insights ar- around this idea. 
Yeah, so obviously the uh, black leather jacket became really iconic during the 20th century as um, as a symbol of male identity. And if you read um, intelligent uh, sort of anthropological works on fashion, then you you find that it the leather jacket is generally described as a, a you know a badge of male identity. And although of course women can and do wear it as well, but uh, and that that really comes about with uh, Marlon Brando's The Wild One movie where he's you know uh, this sort of leather-clad biker, um, and then it, and then it enters into subcultures like punk or post-punk, heavy metal, most obviously. Um, I mean, there's a definite connection with the the leather apron of Freemasonry in that you know if you go back into the 18th century, you find that the, the leather apron or the Masonic apron is painted with um, all kinds of symbols, most especially I would say the uh, skull and crossbones. And then you fast forward to the post-punk era of the early 1980s, and again, you find the skull or the skull and crossbones being probably the most prominent uh, symbol painted on um, on the leather jacket. And, and there is, of course, this, um, this fixation with mortality in post-punk and goth as well. And so you, you have bands like My Dying Bride, Dead Can Dance, Death in June, Megadeth, which I guess is more heavy metal. But death shows up a lot in the lyrics and in band names and in the iconography. And, um, you know, even goth itself, you know, gothic punk, as it's sometimes called, it got its name from um, having this hollow sound that was reminiscent of uh, cathedrals. And, you know, maybe a stretch to link goth music to cathedrals and cathedrals to Freemasonry. But clearly, there was this kind of spiritual kind of feeling that they were trying to create, not in a sort of happy, clappy way, but in a sort of more, uh, sort of, in a way that's more focused on mortality, which, again, would be much more akin to Freemasonry than to most um, most esoteric or spiritual movements, I think, quite evidently. So, yeah. So there's a definite connection between the leather jacket and the Masonic leather apron, and there are other connections as well. I wonder what our Lodge brothers would think if we showed up with black leather aprons on <laughs> yeah. the next stated meeting. Well, I think some would love it, and some would be horrified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. So... Other subcultures that come to mind include like motorcycle right. uh, yeah. gangs or, or groups. Mm. Was the, that subculture considered in this issue? Uh, it, it wasn't really. Uh, I mean, I think that that, I mean, it overlaps, obviously, especially with heavy metal. But I, I think that's a whole um, a whole different thing in itself. And you could look at the uh, Widow's Son uh, Masonic Motorcycle Club. Uh, so I think that that would be something that's a little more self-contained in a way. How about this element of, I don't know, I guess like aggression or anger towards society? It, it, are there connections there? I, I'm not quite sure exactly how to phrase the question, but when I think of yeah. punk rock and I think of heavy metal and anything kind of hardcore in terms of the music genre, it, it it has this like distaste for the world around. Right. And, and and my, I guess, part of what I love about Freemasonry is it starts to accept the beauty of all things mm. around. Yeah. Those feel like poles. There, there seems to be some polarity there. Help me yeah. understand this, this anger, this aggression, this outspoken, like kind of anger toward the external that you see in these, these different groups. Sure. Johnny, do you want to take that? And then I'll just add a couple of words after maybe. 
Sure. Well, with the punk ethos, we, you know, we have primary beliefs that, you know, fall under the category of nonconformity, anti-authoritism, anti-corporatism, very much a a DIY ethos, anti-consumerist. And then at the heart of it, you know, punk's ideology is mostly concerned with individual freedom. And that can be said, I believe, for the Freemason as well. And, you know, in terms of aggression, I think it depends on how we look at that aggression. Is it an aggression towards self? You know, is it aggression toward toward the system? Is it aggression toward the way that things are, knowing that things can can and 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 perhaps will be better we can make those changes and the thing is we need we need the tools though the working tools if you will to make those changes and uh once we find that within ourselves then perhaps that's when we can put the tools to use and get away from the aggression and head more toward freedom really um because you know punk offers in many ways freedom you know it was it was Kurt Cobain that once said it's uh, punk is is musical freedom because it's saying, doing and playing what you want. And so on that note, when you look at the look at look no further than their name, Nirvana. I mean, in Sanskrit, Nirvana means freedom. Right. So that freedom you know, it could be freedom from from aggression and uh, spiritual freedom, musical freedom. I think that was that was really well said. And I didn't realize that the Sanskrit nirvana goes back to that word freedom. So thank you for for sharing that. And as you were describing this kind of outward aggression as a almost almost as like an expression of one's individual freedom, I'm immediately transported back to my youth in these mosh pits where it's like so violent. And so angry, and there's so much like turmoil within the pit, but yet the pit is taking care of everyone else that's in there. So if people fall down, they lift them back up, right? So it's it's like this almost this channeled freedom <laughs> in the form of aggression or movement, if you will. And it goes back to the fact how we had mentioned earlier. You know, the only time we should be looking down on someone is when we pick them up. This includes in the pit. Mm-hmm. Angel, you had something else to add to that? Yeah, uh, just br- a very brief, just a couple of comments. Uh, I, I, again, I think this is probably an unusual thesis, but it, it, personally, I regard Freemasonry, at least to, during the 18th century, as being very much a reaction against trends in society. You know, if you think about uh, France in particular, it was going in this allegedly very rationalist direction against religion. And when you think about it, that means against mystery, against the mysteries, against ritual, against any kind of uh, uh, theatricity. And Freemasonry just exploded at that time. And uh, it exploded uh, by, you know, all of these different sort of spin-off Masonic groups or Masonic rites, uh, conferring these degrees that were highly secretive, uh, ritualistic and claim to be uh, presenting to initiates the mysteries. This was all really all the all the stuff that the Age of Enlightenment detested, uh, mm. and, and often Freemasons think, "Oh, we we had something to do with the Age of Enlightenment, and we 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 had something to do with the the French Revolution." But actually, when you when you look at it, it's 
from a philosophical point of view, it's complete nonsense, really. And actually, there were plenty of uh, uh, Freemasons that were very prominent who were against that, but we've forgotten about them because they lost. But, uh, you know, so, so, and I think, you know, that again is a very punk rock attitude, right? That we don't like the worst excesses of society. Uh, you know, punk heavy metal. Uh, I mean, they are critiques of society, but they're critiques of the parts that have gone wrong. <laughs> You know, mm -hmm. it's easy to forget that. In, in regard to um, it all just being aggression, I, I would add that, yeah, I mean, you, you know, there's certainly a lot of very aggressive heavy metal or death metal or punk, but, uh, but you know, there's often a lot of uh, beauty in it as well. Heavy metal is influenced by classical music very often. Goth, again, really had a, a sense of beauty and a sense of nostalgia and of um of drawing on victorian culture and pre-victorian culture and sort of classic classical uh beauty so so you know that's that's in there as well it's not all just aggression well it, now i'm also thinking of just about that word in particular because one might say the corporate slant on everything mm -hmm. and this mass consumeristic point of view of you know what brings value to our lives like that's super aggressive, right? Like that in itself, yeah. like get, well, get in, in line, young man, or find yourself, you know, out the door. So it's kind of aggression against aggression in a way. Yeah. Well, today we have a very sort of sublimated aggression, right? So the, you know, people are attacked according to the group they're in or, you know, for not conforming with the latest political view and uh, you know, lives are ruined on Twitter every day for people. They said the wrong word, maybe in jest, or maybe just they didn't think about it, and they're you know dragged through the mud. So I mean, it's beyond aggressive. I mean, you wouldn't mm -hmm. get that in a you wouldn't get that in a more classical society because you would be dealt with pretty swiftly. But you know, uh, you know, there's extraordinary aggression out there, but it's not portrayed as aggressive as portrayed as well i'm having to do this for love and for peace and for equality mm -hmm. and for the children's sake i'm just going to ruin a few lives you know but these are bad people so we can do it so yeah mm -hmm. so it doesn't go away it just becomes more dishonest brother angel thanks for always bringing that historical point of view to your answers because i think it's easy to end up in these philosophical conversations without any like grounding foundation of what has happened in the past. So yeah, thank you for always adding that perspective. It, it's really helpful. And I think adds a lot of validity to these ideas, especially the ideas within an issue dedicated right. to subculture. Yeah. W within the issue itself, there's a quote and it, um, it reads, so this is really for those Masonic brothers who choose to live on the fringes of society, yet stay within due bounds. I think this is you, Brother Johnny. Thinking about like those others who maybe don't identify with living on the fringes of society, what do you think this issue does or brings to those Masonic brothers who maybe identify with being more traditional or more mainstream? Well, it's my hope that it provides an insight and better in understanding into those of us that do live our lives on the fringes. And, you know, with that, we, we also have a prime example of esoteric versus the exoteric, meaning the underground scenes found in, you know, punk, gothic, uh, or, or metal 
have never really hit the mainstream and have always been categorized as underground or esoteric. And as a result, they've been viewed as fringe. Yet, on the contrary, mainstream music has always been intended for the masses. And those of us that live on the fringe tend to stay away from anything mainstream. Um, that's been my experience. Uh, I, I don't speak for all, but that's definitely my experience. But it's my hope that by getting to know some of us that do live our lives in this manner, they can better understand who we are. Uh, it, it, it offers a glimpse as to some of the things that we may be into, whether it be music or art or fashion. And in doing so, I think it's nice because it strengthens the bond that we already have with the brothers spiritually. Um, take, for example, um, uh, Worshipful Jeriel Smith comes to mind, you know. Here we have a litigation attorney, and I would I would be quick to say that he's one of my closest brothers, and I've been at his side for a better part of 10 years, and we've spent a lot of time together involved in different groups, different uh, study groups, um, and, and, and whatnot. And when else would a tattooist and a litigation attorney come together and spend time together and travel and 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 be one as brothers right yet as far as my lifestyle is concerned he knows very little of what i do outside of masonry so by putting out an issue like this um you know for for brothers like jeriel it offers a glimpse uh, into our world um and now it's understood that this isn't for everyone, right? But at least it's it 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 paints a it paints a picture and helps us gain understanding as to um, who it is that we actually spend all this time with, right? Absolutely. I, I think what you're describing, the way I would put that is, it provides dialogue. It starts a conversation with a brother like whom you just described. And that conversation and that dialogue actually strengthens the bond that already exists, right? Sure. It gives them a perspective from where you're coming from, which then gives them a chance to appreciate it, understand, and then converse with you about it, probably in a way that, you know, was totally unexpected for Worshipful Brother Jeriel. Sure. Anything else on that, Brother Angel? What does this issue offer to the traditionalists <laughs> who yeah. we also refer to as brothers? Well, I think that it will open up their horizons. Um, you know, we focus a lot on Mozart figures from the 18th, 19th century. But um, I think, you know, whether you like punk or dislike punk or don't care about punk, uh, you know, to me, it, sh it should be interesting to brothers to read all these uh, philosophical and, and historical connections of which there are very, very many. And I think, you know, it, it can open, um, op yeah, open up the horizons for things that they may have missed or, you know, may have a particular view that might not be quite right. I mean, myself, when I was, um, when I was looking into the beatniks for this issue, you know, I looked, I started listening to some, you know, early beatnik music and uh some of it i quite liked i'd never heard before so so i think you know if if, uh, if for the more adventurous traditionalists uh you know they may find that they are exposed to some uh some culture that they could appreciate on on a level that they may not have been able to connect with before um maybe and uh, just one last point you know uh you know i, I go around the country i meet 
uh, brothers from all across the country and you know sure we are you know wearing suits at, at dinner or whatever have you and it's all very polite but you know I meet you know I'm not gonna say from which um which state but you know I was having dinner with a grandmaster of a particular state a couple of months ago and uh, we we're both wearing suits or he was wearing a tuxedo but he's also into motorcycling and uh, heavy metal so we don't have to pretend that we all go home and listen to Mozart in the evening we all have these interests and I think that can be a part of it that's part of our Masonic experience really you know so at the at the top of the episode here we discussed this kind of morphing pattern that happened to the idea moving from say tattooing into folk art and then into mm -hmm. subculture was that the biggest surprise while making this issue or were there other surprises along the way? Well, I think the biggest surprise was really how many uh, historical uh, cultural connections there were between uh, punk and Freemasonry, beatniks and Freemasonry, heavy metal and Freemasonry, just how far back the tradition of tattooing Masonic symbols uh, onto the body went. Uh, how many record covers have Masonic symbols all over them? I think I think they were probably the biggest surprises that we came across, really. Or the the, the things that surprised us most. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if Johnny may, may have a different perspective. No, I I agree. I mean, in the issue we cover, you know, the bands like Ultravox and Dead Kennedys, Frank and Christ. Uh, we have Soft Cell, Killing Joke, and yeah. uh, of course Ghost. Um, yeah, so. It's interesting to it was it was interesting to discover all the connections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it makes me think that our symbols they seem like just a symbol, and you could describe, say, the common gavel with yeah. one word or one sentence. And yet, when we go a little deeper and we really start to reflect on what that symbol means, in this case, it's a symbol of subculture it opens up into all of these connections and these newfound insights. What insights did you maybe gain in, in terms of, you know, now seeing how many different places this appears and how overt <laughs> those connections are, what insights or reflections do you have now uh, on this, on this topic now that you've finished the issue? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure much has changed only because this wasn't I, I didn't come into this project doing research on something that I knew nothing about so in essence you know getting into theoretical practice like this is experiential gnosis my life has been has revolved around these subcultures that are discussed in the magazine you know primarily punk and and death rock dark wave and whatnot what was interesting were those connections that we were discussing earlier but as far as anything new, um, this is how I live my life, you know, daily. And it has been since, since I can remember, you know, growing up in Hollywood as, as a young boy. I mean, I probably started getting into this stuff around age 12, I think, 11 or 12. I had some older cousins that were a big influence on me, you know, musically and, and whatnot. So maybe a yeah. simpler question then, Brother Johnny, would be, you know, how do you feel about the response that this issue's received or now that it's out and you've had a chance to maybe talk to a few brothers or subscribers who have read the issue, what are your thoughts on that? So far, the response has been really positive from, you know, members and non-members alike. Um, I've had a lot of close friends contact me directly asking for the uh, the actual print copy and how they can purchase it. So I've let them know. It's my understanding that sometime next week, 
that'll be available on theresearchlodge.com's website. So um, I've communicated that to them. But another thing in terms of like some of the candidates at a couple of the lodges that I frequent, they have expressed interest because they too are into these subcultures that have been covered in the magazine. So the thought that, you know, these are guys that aren't Masons yet. However, they're being exposed to this magazine through, you know, through us and uh, their mind is just blown. You know, they, they it, it's uh, and it's interesting that Freemasonry is, th- this is where we've brought it, you know, in terms of contemporary Masonry and the fact that we're even covering this, that's interesting in itself, you know, because uh, truth is, I didn't, I didn't know if we were going to be able to pull this off. Yeah. Because, you know, the concern is, well, you know, how is this going to be received? You know, this is way fringe. So, right. so far, so far, it's been well received. I haven't heard, on the contrary, I haven't heard anything negative. So that that's good. That is, that is. And you're addressing a misconception that perhaps a lot of these future Masons had about our craft going into it. And that has given them more light and given them a, a greater understanding of actually what the fraternity does represent holistically. So thank you for that. Thank you for taking this on directly and addressing those misconceptions head on. Angel, were you going to add something in terms of a reflection or how you feel about yeah. the response now that the issue's out? Yeah. Well, uh, in terms of reflection, I think uh, personally, it gave me a deeper appreciation, maybe a Freemasonry, but certainly of all of these different subcultures, even though I was familiar with them. Um, certainly with heavy metal, I have a, a, a deeper appreciation of uh, the mythology that it draws on uh, and sort of male initiatic subtext that was within it. Uh, I didn't know that uh, tattooing Masonic symbols went back into, during, uh, into the 18th century. Yeah, other than that, uh, yeah, I think um, I think we created something truly unique and um, uh, I really hope it, 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 it allows Freemasons to realize that yeah, we have high standards and we're going to wear a suit to lodge, but we're also a brotherhood with a pulse. And uh, we don't have to pretend that we lived 200 years ago. We can be enthusiastic about the things that, that make us feel enthusiastic. And we can approach you know, even things that seem trivial to other people. Uh, if we really are esotericists, then we can see what's deeper within them and, and talk intelligently about these things and, and bring it into our Masonic experience. Uh, would that be the one thing you'd want someone to take away from this issue? Or do you have another key takeaway? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, honestly, now is the time to think deeply about things, even things that society writes off as trivial. Uh, people write things off as trivial because they're trivial. Uh, someone who has a deep mind is going to see deep things in it. And, um, you know, I, you know, if a brother is into, let's just say, you know, heavy metal, you know, why not give a, a really interesting talk on male initiation and esotericism uh in in the lyrics of heavy metal songs it, it, give that in large you know and it doesn't have to be uh, that genre of course but you know if you can see deep things in something that interests you then that's going to be a great way to talk about uh profound things that affect and that have influenced us over thousands of years you know as as men or as human beings or as spiritual seekers or whatever it may be yeah and um yeah and 
you know, I, I studied uh, fine art and fashion in London uh, before moving to the US, and uh, we had to take cultural studies. And there, you you examine and explore uh, really uh, sort of everyday culture. It could be TV ads or movies or whatever. And sure, there's a risk that it can be trivial, but the idea is you find what's sort of profound and interesting in it. And I think that that can be a good way into more. Uh, deep and esoteric subjects for for the large really without beating people over the head but with you know alchemical correspondences to the Kabbalah or whatever it may be which can be a lot more boring quite honestly so. <laughs> yeah how about you brother Johnny do you have a, a key takeaway or the one thing you'd like people to feel think or do after reading this issue you know in in short it would just be that we all the fact that we all come from different backgrounds, whether it's socioeconomic, cultural, we have different tastes in music, fashion, art, lifestyle, etc. Yet, the key takeaway would be, regardless of what we're into, at the end of the day, let's not forget that we all meet on the level. So that that would be the key takeaway. As as you were both describing this key takeaway. I was immediately reminded of the fact that some of our most popular issues of Fraternal Review have been on pop culture oh, really? and Freemasonry. <laughs> so now we have, you know, an equally popular issue, but it's subculture and Freemasonry. So to that idea that we all meet on a level and there's this vast spectrum of experience and insight that we can gain within our craft the magazine itself is kind of a testimony to to that, you know, going every from everywhere from the pop culture side of things to now the subculture mm -hmm. side of things. And if you were to make a subculture part two or a follow on to this magazine, this uh, this intro, what would it be? What would be included? Yeah. Well, so I'm now hearing uh, that there are some pretty well known punk and post-punk bands in in England that actually have Masonic connections, quote unquote. So if I could get hold of them, that would be great. I think, you know, and, and you made me think earlier when you were talking about aggression and beauty, maybe I could do a section on uh, wisdom, strength and beauty, looking at different uh, punk and goth bands, etc. <laughs> to really uh, represent those. How about you, Brother Johnny? You're, you're pulling from direct experience here, as you mentioned, to produce this work of art, what would be the second piece that you would produce? Well, from direct experience, I would, without question, I would echo um, Brother Angel's sentiment for sure. So I, I, I'd, I'd be interested in doing something like that. And then um, one thing that I did um, catch during our interview with Brother Mike from Keepers of the Word is um, in regard to uh, subculture part two, he had mentioned the thought of, you know, maybe doing a, a, a an issue on hip hop culture. Now, that's something that may be of interest. Now, from from my standpoint, I know nothing about hip hop. However, there are plenty of brothers that do. So that's an idea that that may definitely be worth entertaining. But given that Angel has recently found out about some other bands, um, I'd be interested in entertaining that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, I mean, th th there may be multiple subculture issues, you know, yeah. uh, it seems like there may be enough, enough uh, content to go that route. We'll see. Absolutely. Remind us all again, how one would find each of you if they wanted to hear this and then connect a little bit further. What's the best way? 
Uh, well, people can find uh, connect with, connect with me or find out about me on my website angelmillar.com, a n g e l m i l l a r dot com. Yeah, and for me, um, I could be found on Instagram at Rite of Passage, and also on my website at www.riteofpassage.net, and there's hyphens in between the Rite of Passage. Excellent. So we'll try to include that in the show notes on the podcast. Thank you both for sitting down and giving us a you know greater understanding and more insight on the making of this issue and also what we, sh- we should be looking for when we approach this. Uh, I'd like to encourage everyone listening to go and follow and connect with these brothers, scholars, free thinkers, free builders. And also, if you feel inspired, please go and download a copy of This issue from the researchlodge.com, both digital and print, will be available by the time you hear this episode. And I just wanted to conclude also with um, the sentiment that Brother Johnny shared with us, which is that in essence, Freemasonry and punk believe that liberty and free will are the natural state of man. So to that end, may we all meet upon the level and part upon the square. Thank you, brothers. Thank you. Fraternal Review has been published for over six decades, and each issue is dedicated to a specific topic, such as Masonic symbols, lore, and history. If you enjoyed this episode of Fraternal Review's podcast, please subscribe, support, or visit our website for more information. You can become a digital, print, or digital and print subscriber of the Fraternal Review magazine at theresearchlodge.com.